Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. A global news poll conducted with Ipsos shows that one year away from the federal election, Andrew Scheer is just one point behind Justin Trudeau, conservatives and the liberals, Mr. Singh of the NDP, far behind. The problem for Andrew Scheer may be that 40% of the voters have no idea who he is. I spoke with uh, Daryl Bricker of Ipsos and David Aiken, chief political correspondent for Global News. Yesterday was the fourth anniversary of the murder of Canadian Army Warrant Officer Patrice Vincent by ISIS sympathizer Martin Couture-Rouleau. And tomorrow will be the fourth anniversary of the murder of Canadian Army Corporal Nathan Cirillo by ISIS sympathizer Michael Zahaf Bebo. These are difficult anniversaries for this country. I spoke with Major Mark Campbell of the PPCLI, who lost both legs to an IED attack in Afghanistan. He had a lot to say. And here we are. It's election fever. It's election here, election there, election everywhere. Yesterday in British Columbia, it was Municipal Election Day. Tomorrow, it's in Ontario, it's Municipal Election Day. And uh, the U.S. midterms are coming up. And, of course, one year from today, Canadians from coast to coast to coast will be going to the polls and deciding who's going to manage the affairs of this country for the next four years. It will be our federal election. And there's a fascinating poll from um, Ipsos Reid, or Ipsos, I'm not Ipsos Reid, Ipsos polling. And the headline on the story on Global News is a year away from Election Day and no name sheer is right behind Celebrity Trudeau, Ipsos Poll. This is an exclusive poll for Global News. And joining us on the program, I'm going to be talking with David Aiken in just a little bit, the chief political correspondent for Global News. But to kick us off and give us a, some background information on the poll and the polling, Daryl Bricker, the president and CEO of Ipsos. How are you, Daryl? Doing great, Roy. Nice to talk to you again. My pleasure to speak with you. One year out, how significant is a poll about how things stand uh, as far as the national electorate is concerned, one year exactly from the next election date. Well, it shows you where the starting line is, because as we get into January, we really are in the ramp-up to the election campaign. But uh, more than just the horse race numbers are all of the other things that we looked at in this survey, which was fairly extensive, that point to a pretty competitive election going forward. It is very competitive, isn't it? Uh, one percentage point separating the liberals from the conservatives, essentially, in the national voters' mind, Trudeau from Scheer. What does that really mean in, as far as these two politicians are concerned going forward? I'll bring Mr. Singh in in just a moment. But when they look at your numbers that are released today, what is, what's the message that they must receive? Well, for, for Andrew Scheer, it's that you're in the game. Uh, even though uh, people really don't know who you are, um, you're in the game. And really what this is a reflection of is the fact that the next election is, is much going to be a referendum on the Trudeau government 
as it is going to be a, a selection of what, what the government is going to be going forward. So the real focus is on whether or not people are satisfied with the performance of the government. If you're Justin Trudeau, um, if you go into the, the depths of uh, what we looked at, what you'll see is that there's a real problem in terms of the alignment of the government with the issues that the public cares about. So when you go out and you ask people, what are the things that you really care about, you want politicians to focus on, they're not the things that the Liberal government spends most of its time talking about right now. And of those issues which are the most important in terms of what people are really concerned about, the Conservatives lead on almost every one of them. That's the most troubling issue for the uh, for the Liberal Party, not necessarily where they are in terms of popular support right now. So tell us a bit about these uh, these issues and where they line up with the with the the voting public in this country, and uh, what the actual focus is going to be of the Liberal government has been. How does it? How, what are the issues and how do they not line up? Well, so if you look at what Canadians tell us the top issues are facing the country today, they'll tell you healthcare is number one. Well, healthcare is a pretty much a nonpartisan issue. They don't really think that anybody's got a, a much better solution than anybody else on this. Then we go to taxes. The Conservatives have a, a six-point lead on that. Then we go to the economy. The Conservatives have a double-digit lead on that. Then we go to immigration. The uh, Liberals, uh, the Conservatives have more than a 20-point lead on that issue. Finally, we get to climate change, which is the number five issue, which the government spends a lot of time talking about these days, in which they have maybe a four- or five-point lead over the NDP on this issue. So they don't even really own it among the progressive uh, coalition. All of the identity politics issues that the government really focuses on, which relate to the issues of equity and recognition of various groups in Canadian society, way, way down the list. So when you look at what the government talks about, spends an inordinate amount of time talking about, including things like, for example, uh, the decriminalization of marijuana, the public's really not talking about that. They're really talking about meat and potato, taxes, economic issues more than anything else. So the Liberals, the government, they're going to have to make some course corrections between now and the actual beginning of the election campaign because they better all be set when the writ is dropped. But in effect, they have to start almost immediately and they have to make course corrections. Is that going to do you think there's a danger here that they're going to be seen to be have been out of tune until now and just trying to catch up with public opinion because of the polling? Well, yeah, they're they're going to have a tough time because the personality start to build, has has been burned in over the space of the last the last three years. So people have a certain expectation as to what they believe in. So to all of a sudden say I believe in something different, that's going to be a bit of a problem, particularly when they see another party more associated with that uh, that sense of uh, of belief. So really, the liberals are faced with uh, either picking one of two paths. One of them is that on those top four or five issues they really have to differentiate themselves from the opposition in a way that's really positive and resonates with Canadians. The second option they have is on an issue in which they do have a bit of a lead, they need to push that up in order of importance. So as we go into January, you're going to get a sense of what it is they've decided to pick among those two things. Okay. I noticed that uh, the Environment Minister, Catherine McKenna, was tweeting about pollution, not about climate change. Maybe that's just today. But I thought, oh, there, here's a change. Here's a bit of a, a switch. It's not climate change. It's pollution. Uh, I don't know. Again, maybe it's just a, a minor um, tick in what the minister's tweeting about. But, uh, but, it, but, I, but I'd take note. Now, what about the NDP and Mr. Singh? Are, are they, com- oh, I shouldn't say are they completely out of the game, but are they, do they, can they make up the ground to be a, a relevant player in the election and upset essentially the apple cart for maybe the Liberals and possibly the Conservatives as well? 
Well, I think we misread what's going on with the NDP. So first of all, uh, all of those who claim that you know the NDP has disappeared on the federal political scene just need to look at our poll, and actually some, most of the other polls too. Nobody's showing them dropping away. I mean, in our most recent poll, they're at 20. If they got 20 in the national election, that would be the second highest that they've ever scored in terms of Canadian politics. That's interesting. The highest, of course, being you know Jack Layton when he got 31. So they would be the second. That would be the second highest that, that they've ever received. Four points higher than what they got in the last election campaign. So they're not disappearing. The, the second part of that, though, Roy, is that everybody, um, particularly the Ottawa punditry, uh, looks at the NDP as a Quebec story. It's not. They have 15 seats in the province of Quebec, and yes, the Liberals would love to have them, the Conservatives would love to have them, everybody would love to have them. But that's not the story. The story is how will they do in British Columbia and how will they do in Ontario? Because that will have the biggest effect on the election outcome. I was about to so, ask you. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so I was going to say, if you look at those two places, the NDP is polling reasonably well in both, and there's a provincial government in British Columbia to support them and a strong opposition party in Ontario to support them. Uh, to, of which, of course, Mr. Singh was uh, was the previous deputy leader. Right. So um, I think this, the story is really more in B.C., in Ontario, than it is really in Quebec. Okay. I was about to ask you, the trending provincially as far as voting is concerned, so the provincial, the different provincial moods or the regional moods across the country, they're going to have, I, w- I would think maybe in this election, they might have more of an impact or be stronger than I can remember in recent memory, or am I not understanding this properly? No, you're understanding it perfectly correctly, Roy. What's happened in Canadian politics is this, you know, these old notions that we have federal and provincial separate movements and that we have kind of a middle of the political road that everybody wins from. That's that's all gone. Uh, What's happened now in Canadian politics is very much as we're seeing around the rest of the world, it's becoming more tribal. So uh, the Conservative Party, Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario, has... Uh, an awful lot in common with the federal conservative party. And you see where the showdown is starting to happen is between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Ford. So the liberal administration federally and the provincial administration um, with uh, with uh, the conservatives. That's where we're starting to see more of the friction and more of, the, more of this partisanship playing out. We'll start to see it in other provinces too. For example, in, in Alberta, uh, if everything goes as the polling shows that it's going to go right now, Mr. Kenny becomes the premier of, uh, of Alberta, you're going to see the same kind of thing. So that national political debate will also get played out at the provincial level, which is something that we don't normally encounter, particularly in Ontario. It's going to make your job very interesting, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's, it's not that it isn't a, always. Being a pollster these days is a is a higher high wire act <laughs> at the best of times. We, uh, it's a lot harder to do accurate polling than it used to be. Yeah. But leaving aside the question of you know getting the actual uh, percentage of the winners and losers correct is really getting at the sense of the dynamics of the campaign, yeah. what we're leading into, and I think that's what the polls actually still do a pretty good job of. Yeah, I agree. What do you? What do we then fundamentally take away from this? This Global News Ipsos poll, what, what's the message, the bottom line message that we take away? All those who thought that uh, Mr. Trudeau who was going to get a very clear run in a second majority need to rethink what they, uh, they may have thought before. Uh, this looks like it's going to be a very close election campaign, and there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, potential for real competition as we move uh, through into the new year. Daryl, it's always great talking to you. Thank you very much. You're a, you're a voice of reason and understanding when it comes to these complex and, t- and uh, frankly, confusing issues. The elections are becoming more confusing as we go forward. 
For me, too. I do my best, Roy. I do my best. Good talking to you, Daryl. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Daryl Bricker. He's the president and CEO of Ipsos. This is all fascinating stuff. And then you look at what's happening as far as the provinces are concerned. And you see the, and I want to, David Aiken's on the line. We're going to talk to him right now. But the chief political correspondent for Global News. Provincially, David, I see the the mood of the electorate moving to the philosophical right. It happened in Ontario, likely going to happen in Alberta if polling is correct. It's certainly the case in Quebec with the, with the CAC, um, more right than left. So can can we start with that? What do, how do you how do you assess the mood of Canadian voters as we look at the results of this Ipsos poll for Global News? And thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here, Roy. Well, I, I think uh, you're quite right. The, the recent provincial elections we've seen have. Uh, resulted in small-c conservative parties. Although people, my Quebec friends will argue with me that CAC is not a traditional small-c conservative party. They are uh, quite comfortable, for example, with the carbon tax, which most other small-c conservative parties uh, don't like. But what I find interesting, and this this is in the polling that our friend Daryl Bricker at Ipsos did, is that there's a big chunk of the electorate where none of the above has been a frequent option. It's a volatile electorate. And let's look at Let's look at New Brunswick, a tiny province. Let's sure, no problem. And there, an incumbent majority liberal government lost by the narrowest of margins. But the conservatives did not win, um, or or if they might win by the narrowest of margins, why is that? Well, a couple of seats were run by a brand new party, a, a sort of people's party of New Brunswick. The Greens got an extra seat. They hold two seats in the legislature in New Brunswick. Thirty percent of voters did not choose the blue door or the orange door, or the uh, red door. Uh, none of them chose the orange door, the NDP. Uh, they do terrible in New Brunswick. So whereas just uh, a couple of decades ago, 97% of voters in New Brunswick either voted liberal or conservative, 30%, that's an incredible number, said to heck with either of these mainstream parties, I want to try something new. Quebec, well, Coalition Avenue to Quebec, the CAC, that's brand new. That party has been around for a decade. They've never done better than third in any election. And now they're the governing party with a whopping majority. Ontario's a little different, but certainly it's a little new in the sense that the Liberals have never, ever, since Confederation, did, uh, have done as badly as they've ever done uh, in the last Ontario election. Voters in Ontario wanted a change. Voters in Alberta the last time out never, ever elected Democrats. They may not ever elect them again, but at least they said, I want to just try something different. And so as we look to the federal situation, we don't have a lot of new parties. But I know, Roy, you've had Maxine Bernie on your show. He's starting up a new party. He thinks there's a hunger for something new that would take from the conservative right, maybe also take from some liberals and some of the Democrats. The Greens may do better in a, uh, the next election. Um, it's a volatile electorate, and that's going to make it, I think, a little tricky for pundits, for pollsters, all of us, for the uh, political players themselves and the mainstream parties uh, to really figure out. And the other unique thing about the next election, first election ever where millennials, young voters aged 18 to 34, will form a bigger voting block than the boomers, the folks 55 and over who always vote. They show up in great droves. But if the millennials show up, and that's a big if, their behavior is different from previous generations. They tend to vote based on issues, and they don't say, well, I always vote liberal, I always vote conservative. So th- those are, that's another volatile voting block. So there's a lot of stuff that's really up in the air that's going to make 
the next 12 months, the next 365 days, we vote in exactly one year. Very, very interesting. You know, I was thinking earlier this morning that maybe it's going to be less about philosophical attitude or philosophical approach. I'm a, I'm right, you're left, I'm middle, you're this, I'm that, I'm the other. It'll be less of that potentially than it's going to be about demographics. And you just said that. If the millennials turn out, they are going to be the most significant voting bloc. They may eventually, they may hold the, po- the balance of power. And so they're the ones, uh, are they the ones that you cater to, David, because they may turn out, as they did in 2015, or do you have to turn out to the? Uh, do you have to? Do you have to cater to the boomers because they will turn out? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's let's break it down by party. Uh, so for certain, absolutely, that the the millennial vote in 2015 hit an all time high, above 55 percent, whereas it used used to be in the you know mid 30s. That that's just incredible. And that vote did, by and large, go to Justin Trudeau and the Liberals in 2015, and uh, that was absolutely the. Uh, the, the thing that put Trudeau over the top. But in these provincial elections, we've seen the millennial vote has been eh, sort of fickle, not really excited. Uh, again, going back to what uh, our friends at Ipsos have polled, this is a fickle group, and, and we're still trying to figure out the millennials and what uh, what motivates them. Mm-hmm. So let's think about Andrew Scheer and the conservatives for a second. Just focus on, on uh, you know, what, what might be a strategy there. Well, we do know the boomer vote is leans right. Uh, so if it's just the boomers voting, I think Sheer and the conservatives have a pretty darn good shot of winning uh, majority government. Boomers are into things like uh, low taxes, worried about the economy, uh, some of those uh, health care, some of those sorts of issues where conservatives tend to be rated uh, highly to be seen as competent. So, so let's assume Andrew Sheer can say, I don't, I'm not going to assume I get the boomer vote, but the boomers historically are going to vote for a conservative-minded party. What can a conservative do to try and win those millennials? Well, here's one thing. Millennials, uh, many polls, including the most recent one I've shown, one of the things millennials are really concerned about, the cost of housing, housing affordability. There's your 25-year-old still living in mom and dad's basement, got a great job, but can't move out to find a decent place anywhere in the GTA. It's just too expensive. If you were a federal political party and you found a way to get that millennial kid out of the basement and into their home, you're going to get the millennials vote. You're going to get mom and dad's vote. I was going to say, you'll get them all. You'll get them all. So what can, and we, as it turns out, uh, just last week, there was uh, the uh, National Association of Mortgage Brokers was on Parliament Hill to meet with MPs because they're concerned that changes that the Trudeau government made about two and a half years ago to the mortgage market, changes the Trudeau liberals made, have made it much harder for first-time home buyers to get out and find a home. Then they presented a list of things that any party might want to do to make it easier for millennials, or anybody else for that matter, to get out and buy a home and still reduce the risk. We don't want to see housing bubbles blow up. We don't want to see the economy crater because a bunch of people are borrowing money they can't afford to pay back. They think there's a way to, to protect the market uh, and to uh, make sure that millennials can get out and and buy a home. So if you're Andrew Sheeran, the Conservatives, I think that would be something you might want to be thinking about. What can we do to help millennials get a home? And, you know, that's sort of a small C conservative motherhood issue. You know, home ownership is what we want to do. Why not focus on that? Again, we'll see what sort of topics the, uh, the, the parties want to campaign on for the last election. Remember, the Liberals won a lot of millennials with promises on climate change, promises on electoral reform, 
And certainly, if you're a new Democrat, you're going to say they broke their promises on electoral reform. They broke their promises on climate change. And as a result, millennials, you shouldn't put your faith in the liberals any longer. Yeah. No, when, when, when Daryl was on the air with us, we were talking about the, the fact that the liberals seem to be out of step or are out of step with the mainstream thinking of voters. Their issues do not, uh, do not um, uh, they don't line up with what the, what the mainstream issues are for voters in Canada. So they're going to have to change direction. Uh, either you could change direction or you try to bring everybody on board, which is not going to happen. So they'll have to change direction, but they'll be seen as, if they don't do it extremely carefully, they'll be seen as vacillating and, and, and just trying to chase votes, not staying too true to the principles and chasing votes. Plus, David, Mr. Trudeau has some significant issues that are going to trail him into the election, issues that arose during his time as prime minister, and you and I both know that the other parties are not going to let those go without being mentioned. Yeah, and I think that the big vulnerability for the liberals, uh, and I agree completely with Daryl, by the way, that the liberals seem to be paying a little more attention, or too much attention perhaps, to issues that uh, a lot of Canadians don't rank as a real high priority. But I think the vulnerability for, particularly for the Trudeau party, the Trudeau Liberal Party, as, it's, as it looks right now, is really from their, their progressive wing. Uh, and that means the New Democrats have an opportunity. The problem is that right now New Democrats have not, under the new leader Jagmeet Singh, really connected with Canadians in any shape or form. There's no excitement, no zest. They're not eating in to that uh, left-wing flank of the Liberals. And I just mentioned a couple issues, electoral reform, uh, climate change. Um, you know, the, the NDP loves to say, hey, Justin Trudeau, you're still using Stephen Harper's climate change goals, regulations, etc. That's something, and certainly the Green Party is trying to make hay out of that. So that's where the liberals, as they say, I think are vulnerable. But the NDP right now are just not uh, being able to capitalize on that. New Democrats know that. I talked to lots of New Democrats. They're frustrated that they can't get traction on it. But you know who's really frustrated about it? Are conservatives, believe it or not, because conservatives know that, you know, they need to hit, you know, it's within range that they could hit 37, 38 percent of the popular vote. That puts them in governing territory, but only if the New Democrats can peel away a lot of liberal seats. There's a seat out in Kelowna, British Columbia. Kelowna is, for those who know B.C., it is a B.C. liberal territory, which means it's small C conservative. It is uh, surrounded by big C conservative seats. And lo and behold, in 2015, it elected, this city elected a liberal. Stephen Fuhrer is his name. And defeated a conservative incumbent. There's only one way that happened. The NDP vote disappeared. And every new Democrat in Kelowna voted for the liberals. And that's how a conservative lost. There's, that's just one of the more dramatic examples. But there's a whole lot of examples of that kind of seat where a strong new Democrat can hold back enough liberals that the conservative can come up the middle. And, uh, and conservatives have got to have strong, a strong NDP showing if they have any hope of a minority government, which I do not think is out of the question, mm-hmm. and certainly they need Democrats to do sort of the way they did in 2011. And of course, in 2011, that's when we saw the Harper Conservatives win the majority, and for the first time ever, the NDP did so well, they became the opposition. So the well, New Democrats are absolutely where I think the action's going to be in the next few months. We uh, we have about a minute left here, so uh, I, I, bellwether for the West Maybe what happens in Alberta at the end of May is going, going to really affect the, 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 the overall dynamic of the, of the federal election of Jason Kenney. 
becomes the premier of of Alberta. Then, where do you factor in Maxime Bernier? Do, what role, ultimately, do you think Bernier and his People's Party may play by the time we get to one year from today? If there is a seat somewhere in the country where the total number of Bernier Party voters would exceed the total number of conservatives, the total number of liberals, the total number of NDPers, I don't know about it yet. Remember, he'd have to take any riding and have more voters than anybody else there. Even his own riding of the Bose, yeah, he might win it because he's Maxime Bernier. He's very popular in his riding. But I don't see him winning more than one seat. And, I, and if he wants to make me eat my words, he's listening right now in a year's time, God bless him. Go and do all the hard work you got to do to make a, a riding. He does have the possibility in some close races to take away 2 3 4% of conservative support, and that could make the difference in some of these marginal seats. And those would certainly mean they'd go to the liberals or they'd stay liberal. So right now, Maxime Bernier is out there, I think, quite selfishly. It's the Maxime Bernier party. He's not going to have a leadership race. Uh, it's all about him and his policies. We should call it the Bernier party, not the People's Party. It's his party, and he's going to do nothing but hurt uh, big C conservative chances in 2018. And for what? He may have one seat if he wins two. Again, I don't know wh- what other seat there, there might be where there's going to be more Bernier voters than there are conservative voters. It just it just doesn't add up. All right, so it'd have to be a boomer to get this, but it could be Leslie Gore, and it's my party, and I'll it's cry if I want to. my party, and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> you got it. Thank you, David. Good talking to you. Appreciate the hey, time. have a great afternoon, Roy. Thanks, David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News. Major Mark Campbell joins me on the Roy Green Show, PPCLI. Princess Patricia, Canadian Light Infantry Major, who represented this country with a Canadian flag on on, on his shoulder and and, uh, was in Afghanistan and um, befell an IED attack and lost both of his legs. And Major Campbell has been an incredible voice for veterans in this country and for this, for Canada and for Canada's military and he was actually one of the veterans Trudeau was talking about when he said they want too much because Major Campbell was part of the Equitas Society lawsuit against the federal government. And uh, he joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Major Campbell, it's always an honor to speak with you, sir. How are you? I'm great, Roy. How are you? And uh, have a good. I hope you're having a good afternoon. I'm having a good afternoon, but I don't want people to forget what happened four years ago. And yesterday it was the anniversary of Patrice Vincent. Tomorrow it's the anniversary of the death of uh, of uh, Nathan Cirillo. We have to remember these days because they just think back to the to the impact of those two events, those two murders at the time. The entire country was in shock. Absolutely, Roy. And, uh, I mean, you know, we've, we've been dealing with, with, with the threats, direct threats from, from terrorist organizations, uh, including, you know, uh, Al-Qaeda and, and more recently uh, Daesh or ISIS. And, and they've made direct threats against this country. And, and, and those two terrorist sympathizer attacks were, were, were simply, I, I would, I would um, posit to you, um, things coming home to roost, finally. And and unfortunately, I think that may just be the tip of the iceberg. And certainly we could talk about the Danforth shooter and, and some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes there. But, um, boy, to paint that one on mental health when there was so much more behind the beyond beyond the surface, um, I, you know, it would I would I would suggest to you that 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 was a uh, was a, a, a half cocked terrorist uh, 
terrorist sympathizer attack as well. Well, it certainly appears to be the case, and uh, it's taking forever to get a definitive uh, um, uh, report on, on that, and, I, and the taking forever is what worries me. Well, you know, it, 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 it's, it's amazing to me that you can have a situation wherein you've got two brothers um, whose, whose sympathies, I guess, at this point are still unknown, but we can certainly draw some conclusions. One brother uh, is sitting on over two dozen smuggled handguns from the United States, still in their boxes, uh, brand new, and uh, also sitting on enough carfentanil, which is, you know, the drug, uh, the poison, enough to, enough to kill the population of Toronto three times over. Uh, he, he gets a taste of his own medicine, unfortunately, or fortunately for us, unfortunately for him, and ends up in a, in a, in a coma in the hospital. And then a short while later, his brother goes on a shooting rampage on Danforth Street with one of those handguns. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of mental math to put two and two together. And, uh, you know, this, for, the, for the government, for the federal government, to, to imply that this was nothing but a mental health incident and a lone wolf uh, I think is disingenuous in the extreme. And what worries and, me, and of course, the, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Campbell. No, no, go ahead, please. I was just going to say what you know. Um, the, the the concern I have with the government doing this is is obviously they don't want the Canadian public to recognize a terrorist attack when one happens because there's nothing they can do about it. R- realistically, if an attack occurs, the government has already failed in its in its prevention responsibility. So, um, yeah, I I just think it's very disingenuous of the government to paint that one as as a mental health incident when in fact it had all the hallmarks of a, of a half-cocked terrorist that, uh, attack. Well, four years ago, they also, uh, and media uh, engaged in this as well, there was a whole uh, series of articles that uh, Zihav Bibo was having mental health issues and that uh, Rolo in, uh, in, in Quebec had mental, Kucha Rolo in Quebec had mental health issues. It's, it's, it's almost as, I wouldn't say it's excusing them, but it's, it's, it's pretty darn close. It is. It is. It is it, uh, awfully darn close, and I think it's putting the blame where it doesn't belong, and and that's unfortunate because you know there there are people with mental health issues in this country. Yes. And to have terrorists falsely identified as people with with simple mental health issues that have gone off the rails, I I, I think it's just it, it it's wrong, and and we need to call a spade a spade here and come to the realization that you know there are terrorist cells and and individuals with who sympathize with with terrorist organizations who are active in this country, plotting against the citizens of this country. And until Canadians wake up to that fact, we're, we're a sitting duck. And, and I would suggest we're a bit of a lame duck. And, uh, and it, it's, it's a concern to me, and it should be a concern to most Canadians. Isn't it surprising that we're actually having a debate in this country, in Canada's parliament, that the, the debate is being held about bringing into this country or allowing into this country people who have taken a vow to destroy Canada in any way well, they possibly yeah. can and to commit acts of terror to, to, uh, to kill as many Canadians as they possibly can? And here we are. We're having a debate about the correctness of the way to do it and how, who's responsible and who's ultimately going to be in charge. It is just so wrong. And when I spoke with John Letts, Jack Letts' father, we'll play the clips in just a second, he said uh, last weekend, last Sunday, a week ago today on this program, he said that the federal government had been in touch with his family and they were working hard to get Jack Letts, dual citizen who has lived his entire life in the U.K., the Brits don't want him back apparently, may strip him of his, of his citizenship, his British citizenship, and yet Ottawa was working with the Letts family to get Jack Letts into Canada but when it became started to get get known, uh, suddenly they cut off all communication with the family. Well, I mean, it's obvious they cut off communication because they've been caught. 
politics. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I mean, this is this is abominable uh, action on the on the part of the Canadian government, and 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 it flies in the face of all common sense. Why would you invite a criminal in? You know, someone uh, a convicted thief. Why would you invite a convicted thief into your home and show him all of your expensive uh, belongings, um, and 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 then pretend in the knowledge that he's not going to rip you off? I mean, it's just. It's ridiculous to bring these people back into Canada. They've renounced their citizenship by declaring war against the very country that raised them. And, and that ought to be enough in and of itself to, to revoke their citizenship and, and send them back into the lands where they've, they've decided they want to, to live and fight. I spoke it yesterday. Makes no sense. I spoke yesterday with a conservative MPP in Ontario, Dave Smith uh, from Peterborough, Kawartha. And he's going to be introducing a private member's bill in the next coming days. We'll play back the interview shortly um, because it's, it's going to make news across the country. It's already started to. And what the bill would call for, and it has the endorsement of Premier Ford, the bill calls for any returning terrorist to Ontario will receive absolutely no Ontario government privileges, i.e. driver's license and, and the like. They will not be supported by the system yeah, and, and, and paid for by the taxpayer. The and I, I, I think that's fantastic. You know, I think that's the right direction we should be taking. Yeah. And I, I would laud Premier Ford for, for that initiative. Yeah. I, I think he's doing what the federal government has failed to do, and he's pr- trying to do his best to protect the citizens of Ontario. And, uh, and, and that's his job. And, and, and good for him. You know, bang on. Major Campbell, let me put you on hold. We'll come back in just a moment and talk some more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. We have loads of information from Global Affairs saying we're going to do everything we can, also the Canadian High Commission to begin with, and it went over to Global Affairs. It's very, very clear. They said as soon as Jack, certainly as soon as he gets out of Syria um, and gets to a third country, then we have full consular help for him, um, you know, and the British might also then um, work with them to get him to a safe third country and eventually back to the UK or to Canada. That's the working plan. I've got all sorts of... Um, information and messages from them saying we're doing everything we can you know we we won't tolerate um, mistreatment of canadians abroad um he has a right to return um all of that and it was all very positive but as i say when we went in ottawa in may that was a pretty dispiriting meeting i suppose to say and then after that the global affairs hasn't been tweeting very much but we still thought there was at least some some progress because the Kurds had released statements saying we're very, very happy to hand him over to Canada. And the Canadians clearly said we're happy to take him. There's John Lutz, the father of Jack Lutz, a.k.a. Jihadi Jack, on this program last weekend. Major Campbell, what do you say? Well, you know, that kind of direction to international affairs comes from the very top, from the Prime Minister's office. So responsibility for all of that welcome Welcome back to Canada talk on behalf of the government of Canada is, is, is the responsibility of the Prime Minister. That's his message that he's sending to these terrorists. And, me- and I'm telling you, it's completely, completely irrational. Yeah. What message do you hear him sending to Canada's veterans? We played that clip. You've heard it a thousand times, I know. 
Uh, they're asking for more than we can give, and he was talking to you directly. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, the the double standard, I guess, just boggles the mind. Uh, I, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know what to say because I can't really find the words to express the depth of my distaste for for the prime minister's words um, and 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 words on both counts, not just telling us that the co- the, the country didn't have, doesn't have the the financial wherewithal to care for its veterans when it's giving hundreds of millions of dollars away in foreign aid um, and giving tens of millions of dollars away to convicted terrorists right in this country, but also um, the Prime Minister's words about bringing home these convicted terrorists um, who happen to have passports of convenience as dual Canadian citizens. On both counts, you know, the Prime Minister's words just fly in the face of everything Canadians themselves hold to be, you know, rational and, 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 and common sense and and true and and to have a prime minister who is so manifestly out of touch with the desire of the people of canada is is just well i again i have to go back to the, the phrase it's mind-boggling major it campbell really is. major campbell talk to us please about the people who uh, you confronted on the battlefield uh, the taliban al-qaeda mm-hmm. those those individuals who 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 confronted you and now appear to be they appear to be winning in Afghanistan. The Americans are trying to find a way to honorably extricate themselves. They just want to get out of there. Right. Uh, well, what, what are they? Who are they? How, how, how tough are they? I mean, what, what are they like? By our societal standards, uh, they're savages. Um, and, and, and I say that with, uh, in the truest sense of the word. Um, these people do not share any of the same moral values or cultural values that we do, obviously. Now, that's understandable to a certain degree because they, 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 they hail from a different culture. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, they're, they're anti-education because their, their strength depends on keeping the general populace of Afghanistan illiterate and, and uneducated. Um, so they burn schools the minute they're built. They, they behead teachers. We had that happen while we were there. So these kind of acts are, are, not, are not at all unfamiliar. They press gang young uh, fighting age men into, uh, into service with, uh, with terrorist organizations. And, and that's just what they do uh, as, a, as a matter of course. They're, you know, you can make excuses for them. A lot of them are, are illiterate kids who are raised in the tribal areas of, of, of Pakistan and Afghanistan, the border areas, and, uh, and, and don't really know anything other than what they're taught from a very young age. But the fact of the matter is, these, these people, you can't deal with them. You can't, um, you can't um, negotiate rehabilitate them. Yeah. You can't negotiate with them. Um, quite frankly, all you can do is um, kill them. And 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 rid the rid the world of the pox that they okay. represent. Major uh, Campbell, I spoke only, last weekend with. They understand. I spoke last weekend with Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of JTF two, and he said, oh, yeah. "There are times when you come across individuals, and you just have to kill them. They're so bad, you just have to kill them." Uh, and that, that's, that's a strange said. way to 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 end our conversation. Strange note to end the conversation on, but. I have to thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to speak with you, and I thought it was important that we talk about uh, the fourth anniversary of the death of these two Canadian Absolutely. soldiers. Absolutely, and, you, and Major I think Campbell. that's what we need to uh, to not lose sight okay. of. Roy is is that fourth anniversary? Uh, Nathan Cirillo right. and Patrice Vincent yeah. gave their lives in the service of Canada, even though they gave their lives at home. Okay, thank you, Major Campbell. All the very best to you. We'll talk okay. soon. Same to you, Roy. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 